There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanners. So let's be friends. It's still the depths of winter. But that news ticker keeps on ticking. So I've gathered three of the finest people that agreed and said, yes, they'll do the show to talk about the news. And we get to do our Meet the Panel live with another one of our favorite panelists and a beloved special recurring guest as well. So what's been going on? We've got some more info coming out about the Steiner exit. We'll discuss the Williams relationship with Mercedes uh, some of James Allison's comments on the rubbish regulations, and we'll argue about McLaren. Are they contenders or pretenders? And what do we think about the Red Bull Sim driver's ominous prediction that it will be a boring season next season? We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I'm joined by the genius behind today's itinerary of news, a, a, a celestial god of F1 information, Matt Two Rumpets. Hey. Next season is definitely going to be our season. Exactly. Just everyone's saying that. But well, we've yes. had a couple of years where, okay, 2022, we were a bit surprised. And then we go, oh, no, Red Bull are, are all over it. 2023 was clearly like a drubbing. So now we're exactly in the point that we were in 2016 when Mercedes had had that domination. And, I don't, and I'll never forget Martin Brundle's commentary in Q3 when I think they still had party mode. So it had kind of looked like some of the teams had pace and then they got to Q3 and Mercedes were, boom, they were miles ahead. And like Brundle was like, oh no, it's happened again. And you could just see all the hope of the F1 world disappear that it was yet another Mercedes season. Yeah, well, it should be interesting to argue about who's going to be closer to Red Bull because there's always the, because just the structural factors argue it should be closer this year. Not every team is starting over from scratch. There are two that aren't. 
I'll take that. <laughs> One of them is Red Bull. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll take that hope. I'll take that hope. And always bringing us hope with flowing locks and uh, a front wing that's constantly bendy. It's sim racing sensation, Scott Stuffy Tuffy. Hello, Scott. Hey, Spanners. Yes, hopefully we have a more competitive F1 season in 2024 than uh, we've seen the last two years in this regulation set. Yeah, I'm happy to keep on hoping, but someone here who is most likely going to just ruin it for everybody, it's ex-Red Bull Derek. It is Dan Drury, a.k.a. Internet Sensation, Engine Mode 11. Hello, Dan. Hello, mate. Pleasure to be here, even though you're saying I'm going to ruin things and crush everyone's hopes and dreams. Yeah, that's what you normally do. Red Bull domination is happening. Just get used to it now. Fine. Let's uh, dig into, though, the big dirty news. Dirty news. All right, Matt, where are you kicking us off with the news? Uh, by the way, this is all Matt's fault. It's a Matt news show. If it's bad, it's Matt's fault. You see, you say that, but like there's barely a mention of tires in the whole thing. No, I felt like it might be appropriate to just uh, catch everybody up with our opinions on the Haas thing because we haven't had a chance really to weigh in on the show yet, although you did have esteemed journalist joe sayward on to talk about some of the more factual bits of it yeah so joe gave us a kind of a like an immediate reaction to the ground obviously he's spoken to gunter steiner um and then we had a, a kind of a lack of information for a couple of days before gunter steiner then uh, appeared at the autosport show uh, and then the picture was was a lot clearer it, it kind of looks like he's been sacked effectively as in his contract not renewed he was certainly coming out sounding a bit disappointed. Uh, uh, Gene Haas had made comments that it was embarrassing. He was embarrassed by their position. So it, it painted less of a picture of they'd had a conversation. One of them flipped the table over and uh, and walked out. And now we have a clearer picture that he was informed between Christmas and New Year, by the way, the drunkest point of the year, unable to process any information. He got told, oh, no, we're not renewing your, your contract. Yeah, and it's interesting, some of the reporting around it that I've seen is, I I think this really comes down to that one factor that's always the most important factor in Formula One once you get outside the talent, and that's money. It seems that Steiner was trying to make the case that Gene needed to spend more, and Gene was not, well, willing to do that. Well, there we go, Scott. Well, you, we've not had your, your take on it so far this winter, but I know you're not particularly a Gunther Steiner fan. No, no. I, I think he's he's very much lived off of his um, personality and character that has become so popular out of Drive to Survive since he's come to Haas. I think overall, if you actually look into the depths of it, he's not a very good team leader and a team principal. And of course, the the whole situation is a lot more nuanced than it just being Gunter's fault but I think a large proportion of the blame has to sit with him and look he had a very good relationship with Gene by the looks of it but that's now gone down the pan as soon as money becomes um, a talking point but I'm, I think it's long overdue I think it is long overdue with them and their new I can't forgive me I don't know his name off by heart, um, but the former head of, the, head of their engineering, who has been yeah. there since the start, he's now taking over. Um, so, yeah, they needed some new, fresh, new blood and a new outset, a, a way of taking the team forward and, and operating. 
So speaking of, you know, character over substance, Dan, um, we'll get your opinion. Wow. No, no, I meant beard over substance. No, no, um, that is a magnificent beard. It's worth tuning into the YouTube alone just to check out Dan's Thank amazing you. mane. Uh, but yeah, Check, so, make sure there's no dinner in it. <laughs> so one of the things right. that uh, that has sort of came out as well is that uh, Gunter Steiner. This is according to Helmut Marco, which is why I'm, I'm going to you because Helmut Marco. Yeah, he's 100 percent trustworthy. 100 percent. Okay, good. Well, he said then, and it must be true that Gunter Steiner was trying to leverage his DTS Drive to Survive Netflix popularity to get shares in Haas. So he was kind of living off that, and that might have been a conflict point to, between him and Gene Haas. Yeah, I will translate what Marco said into uh, normal talk because um, I have some experience of having to deal with that. So I think what he's trying to suggest is that uh, he was trying to capitalise with his yeah. Netflix money and buy into the team. I don't think it was necessarily you you should give me some shares because of my popularity. I think it was more of a monetary transaction of, hey, look, Look at all this money I've made from being a personality on Netflix. Let me buy into the team. And uh, Gene House oh, was like, "Oh, right, yeah, I'm with you." Like, no, no, I don't want anything to do with money in this team. That just seems to be a word I'm allergic to with this team. Well, you can see why, Matt. And the, I, this is the sympathy I have for Gene Haas because w- what are we expecting him to do? Sell the family silver, ride up to the cost cap and beyond, have luxury facilities? Because you know, we always talk about the the garagistas. If you like, I mean, Gene Haas is about as close as we've got in Formula One at the moment. Do we really are we expecting him to, you know, k- kill the kids' inheritance to to give Gunter Steiner a, a few more pennies? Well, I don't even know if it goes to that. I think uh, I, and I I understand where Dan is coming from, but you've got to understand that the original business proposal here, the model that they took to Ferrari. And that they brought to Formula One and were moderately successful with for several seasons till the regulations got away from them. That was Steiner's baby. And I think he was wanting a piece of the team and essentially to protect that. And the problem for him is the one thing he didn't have to go with that idea was money. And the person he knew who did was Gene Haas. Gene Haas, who was not famous for sharing, to put it mildly. And um, not willing to uh, make make the changes I think Haas really do need to make if they want to move up the ladder. And there are other teams that are making those changes even as we speak. And we're going to talk about them later, I hope. It's quite evident that money is pretty much the crux of this reason for, for leaving and this switch around in the team. Because whether if it's Gunther wanting money from Haas himself, for him personally or for him to want Gene to invest more into the team because the team quite evidently needs more investment to compete. I mean, there's been reports that they're still been using pit guns, pit lane guns or wheel nut guns from like 10 years ago, eight years ago, as, as far back as that. And if that, that is something that is probably a small um, spend in, in the grand scheme of things of, of the team and if he's not willing to put money up for items like that and i think if you look at gene when he first started f1 like most team owners are they're very they're very focal they're very um you can see him at events you see him at the the races and then i can't 
say I reckon probably on one hand I can count the amount of times I've seen Gene Haas in the last five years at a race. It was always over the whenever he talked to Gunfasan, it was always over the phone or so there's also that that gap being formed between Gene and Gunfer compared yeah. to what it was um when they first started and now now Gunfer probably thinks he's the one maybe a bit on his high horse going, look at how much money I'm bringing to the team from me being a personality. Like, let's be honest, no one follows Haas for the drivers. They follow Haas for Gunther Steiner. Look at, look at the outrage of everyone online for, because he's a character. They want to see mm. him back in F1. Well, as I said, if you dive into it, he's also not squeaky clean either. It's a really good point because without Gunther Steiner, they are basically the, the other Ferrari team. Whatever they are this week. Uh, kick... Stake F1 team. Yeah, Stake F1 team. So nobody's a Stake F1 team fan. You know, there's, there's no one out there, like, standing hard for Stake F1, is, is there? And without Gunter Steiner, Haas would probably just just be that. I think their performances would even bleed away the default Mirica-type type fan base. So maybe Gene has did... Uh, sorry, maybe Gunter Steiner kind of had a point, Matt, saying, actually, I am the, the, I am the team, and I am the thing bringing people's eyeballs to the team. Uh, well, yeah, he absolutely has a point. And I think he also had a point because, you know, they don't do a lot of their own engineering. They outsource it. I think he wanted to, or at least the implication was they're spread in, they're in Marinello, they're in Banbury, they're in the U.S., they're all over the place. It's just not a workable model in the long term if you want to be competitive. They got a huge leg up because they they played their one trick with Ferrari when they first came under the sport and the FIA turned around and made sure no one could ever do that again, but they've used that up mm. and they've not made progress. I mean, they brought developments that, that, that didn't make it make the car any better. They don't under, they don't seem to understand the car. They don't seem to be able to match the pace of development. And so if you're going to look, you're going to say, well, whose fault is that? one of our famous games to play. It's either going to be the fault of Gene Haas or it's going to be the fault of Gunther Steiner. And guess what? Since Gene has more money, he's going to start by blaming Steiner for this. Whose fault is it? Scott. Yes. Oh, you had, I thought you were poised and ready to make a killer uh, point. Yeah. I, well, as I said, it's, it, it's, I think it's. I think they're both to blame. Both Gene and Gunther Steiner are probably as equally to blame because since we've had, as as it always does, people start coming out of the woodwork when a certain boss leaves. They feel happy to talk about the person who's not there anymore, and, and things getting back to them. And there's been unsubstantiated reports, or there's been reports coming out, um, rumours that Gunther. This is what I go back to: his man management. His man management wasn't very great. He was very. He was a micromanager. Um, he couldn't make decisions. Some people have even claimed that he was almost bullying. That's some substantiated. That's uh, so we'll, we'll take that with a pinch of salt. But it doesn't look good for Gunther. And on the other hand, with Gene Haas, he probably wants someone who can run a team with the budget that he wants to give them. And if Gunther Steiner got above his station and was starting to ask for more money and more money because he felt maybe he was a bit more important and was bringing a certain value to the team, he's within. His, I feel like he's kind of within his right to do that. But then Gene is also within his right to say, well, no, this is what I'm only willing to spend on the team. You have to deal with that or, or leave. Okay. 
I thought, first of all, this is whose fault is it? You cannot just sit there and pick both sides. That okay. is most illegal. This is the Chris Stevens approach yeah. we outlawed yeah, we won't years have it. ago. Um, uh, from my point of view here, I think on the larger merits, I think Gene is right. Steiner's been there a long time. The team has stagnated. I don't think it's necessarily all his fault. And I don't think uh, just getting rid, rid of Steiner and promoting uh, Komatsu will solve the larger structural problems they have. But it is clearly time for a change. And if you look around at what the other teams are doing, you've got Stella, you've got no one but engineers running things. Now, I know Steiner started off life as an engineer, but it's clear that he's better on the business personality side. Mm. And if things had been more, I don't know, amicable, he would have been kicked upstairs to like team CEO or something like that. And, and they would fail, have gotten on with it. Fail upwards. Like that's the sort of the corporate thing. Well, the, just put him where he's, you know, put him out of the way of the engineering and put him in a lane where he's useful and more successful to the team. Firstly, right, he seems he seems like a nice, personable guy and he's really popular. And there's been this outpouring of, of support for him since he's he now it looks like he's been let go. I, I still think it's his fault that the team is 10th ultimately. So the, I, I, obviously, I don't, if he's really having to do stuff with like zero money. He's still got all the essential F1 things. And look at the look at the teams he was fighting against. A Toro Rosso that said no thank you to Red Bull parts when the Red Bull was a rocket ship. Williams, who are still in a pay driver situation and were pinned to the bottom of the, 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 the championship. And also a, a Sauber team that had a very mere investment and a will-they-won't-they they relationship with, with Audi. So the bar was kind of low. I think if you finish 10th in that environment with two decent drivers, come on, Dan, that's, I think that's still your fault. Even if, okay, it was a challenge, ultimately that is still on your head. Listen, I'm glad you've invited me to be on the voice of reason. Okay. So I'm going to tell you now, this is, this is all Gene Haas's fault and it's, it all comes down to the one comment he made after all this where he said, <clears throat> we haven't achieved as much as we should with the resources available. Uh, I'm sorry, but what resources? You've outsourced all your chassis manufacturing to a different department. Your aero department is in Marinello in a shared facility with Ferrari. And then you've got your office in Banbury for all the rest of it. That shows to me that Gene has a complete misunderstanding of what he actually owns and how to run a team. And on that bombshell... Let's move on. Matt Trumpets at MattPT55. Where are you taking us next on this magnificent F1 journey? Well, you know, yeah. we've just had the holidays. Lots of people have gotten gifts. And it is the time of year when a young man's or a woman's or a person's fancy turns to testing. So I thought it Already? might be interesting to look at the teams that would be kings the teams that might actually be able to dethrone Red Bull the contenders in another universe mm. okay so okay so we'll we'll get to the you know are Red Bull going to be supremely dominant i guess uh, another time or is it is it worth starting off with Jake Dennis's comments just to put this into some perspective so Jake Dennis is the the Red Bull what is he what is he Dan he's the sim driver 
Uh, yes, yeah, Simon Development Driver. Right. What, and how, how much influence do we think Simon Development Driver? Are they doing real legwork? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's legitimate. It's not just a sort of here. Yeah. Let's make you feel like you're a part right. of the team. Yeah, okay. Have this imaginary job title, like I did with me. <laughs> right, okay. Right. No, yeah. no, no, no. You, no, Jake you, actually has a bona fide job. Right. Okay. So when he says that it's going to be a boring season next season, they they think they found some more time. And he says he said that for Mercedes and Ferrari to catch up, they're going to have to find a second lap. Was was his comment? It's going to be a super boring season next season Verstappen dominance firstly that's not a very PR friendly quote so I'm, su- I'm surprised that got through because because surely Red Bull are now in the uh, the Mercedes camp in the in the mid-teens where Mercedes were always like oh I don't know you know someone could catch up any minute I don't think Red Bull will want to go yeah we're, we're going to dominate this season we've absolutely got this in the bag don't come crying to me after the first four races that Red Bull are dominating Jake tried to warn you all. Right. Okay. And you advanced warning now to go find a different series to watch. All right. No, domination is a part of, of F1, Matt. But okay, so if Jake, let's assume Jake Dennis is right. And he says that the other teams to catch up have got to find a second. So that means he's basically saying, right, Red Bull, they think over winter, they found, what, another half a second? So that means there's a second for the teams to catch up. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, the interesting thing is, what was he assuming the deficit of the teams last season? Yeah, was. Half, half a second it, it, back to the, on average? Two tenths, three tenths, half a second. By the end of the season, it was not a half a second. Um, certainly for on a good day for McLaren or Ferrari, which is a separate issue for both teams to, to kind of sort out. So it, it, I think you'd normally assume you'd find three to five tenths across, across a winter, across a winter break. That's not unreasonable. Um, but the interesting thing here to me, and, and this is this is a Dan might be able to speak to this a little bit with some authority if he's not going to be busy making jokes, is is that Red Bull have, have made noises, could be a bluff, that they they were starting to run out of low-hanging fruit with their concept. And that in order to find bigger chunks of time, they were going to have to make some larger structural changes. Now that's ominous. If they're 100% correct about those changes and they correlate well to the track. But the bigger the change you make, the bigger the risk you take that if that correlation isn't perfect, at the start of the season, you wind up with a car that you can't backtrack with. So if things do go wrong, you're stuck trying to make your less than perfect car better rather than, say, bringing a development that doesn't work and you still got the basic room there to make your adjustments and a concept you already understand well. So part of it's going to be like, what kind of a change is Red Bull really making here? Is this entirely evolutionary? Are they making small changes they understand well? Or are they going to roll the dice to try and continue this domination and make bigger changes where they think they can then grab more time from? Yeah, I'd be really surprised if we saw anything that um, revolutionary on the Red Bull because in regards to the low-hanging few, I low hanging fruit i interpret that as yeah we didn't have enough uh wind tunnel resources because we had a little penalty we were dealing with so we only risked it on what we'd gain the most right so now they've got that time back and it's all been reset they can spend that refining and just getting those little little milliseconds of time here and there whereas before they had to be a bit more um savvy with that uh atr testing cap so Mate, I wouldn't be surprised if we see the car look almost identical to the last year's one. 
for the first few rounds. Yeah, but are, are we at that point of diminishing returns though, Matt? So like, I, I've, I've got the feeling that they will have to do something different. And I'm sure that Horner made some comments to that effect that like, no, we're going to have to do something you know different to, to then have a base to, to move forward in this regulation set. I'd be surprised if they just came out with basically the same basic concept and go, yeah, that's going to do us for 2024 and 2025. And we'll just like hope that Mercedes and Ferrari haven't done something revolutionary that they can keep building on. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, again, you know, to, to split the difference there, I really do believe they are making some changes to give themselves room to continue optimizing. I think they've sort of gone as far, not as far as they can, but they've reached the point where it's going to be much more resource intensive to continue finding the tenths and the half tenths that they need to, to dominate another season. And the only way to cope with that is to make larger changes, which does increase your risk some, but I think Dan is right. I think if they make larger changes, they're not going to be quote unquote, big, larger changes. Like say Mercedes bringing side pods halfway through the season or, you know, what McLaren brought halfway through the season. I think they're going to be Mm. marginal changes that they think will open things up enough for them to just stay ahead. But I don't see the same level of time dominance, even if they do wind up winning a lot of races. Just because we're already, we're into the third year of the regulation set and the evidence is beginning to suggest that the teams that have, well, blown it up until now have developed a good enough understanding that that large margin they enjoyed is going to start going away. I, I think Red Bull will make changes. They, they have to, as you said, that they're not a team. If you look at how they perform on the track, they're always very aggressive with their pit stops, with their strategy. They're not afraid to think outside the box as well. Obviously, not as far outside the box as Mercedes where they're no side pods, but they won't sit on their laurels. I don't think Christian Horner and Adrian Newey and and the young engineering team that they have there are going to sit there and think, this is going to do us for the next couple of years. They'll be looking to improve that car. And it's like in other sports teams, football as an example, the most dominant team is always buying new players the, the year in, year out, because they know that other teams are going to catch up to them and they're going to improve. And Mm, Mercedes and Ferrari have the resource to improve their cars. Obviously there's a lot more they need to do, but it's definitely up for the for the other teams to catch up Red Bull. I still expect them to be ahead, but how far ahead? I don't think it'll be as far as what maybe Dennis is suggesting. So the the thing the thing that we have to consider as as pundits and fans trying to make our best guesses for the season is that the end of last season was really no indication whatsoever. So Red Bull packed it up, what do we reckon? In about May, Dan? Do you reckon they stopped developing around then? Something like that? Uh yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I, I think I think Mercedes <laughs> gave up fairly early as well, in that they were using then this platform that they didn't like as a test bed for things going forward into 2024. Um, and, and Ferrari, you know, ferrari as usual. So I don't think Ferrari ever develop. Do they really? They come out of the box strong and then they, they tend to just get what they get. And then the real uh, mixer in all of that is McLaren coming out with their B-spec and developing hard relatively later into the season. So we really don't have a clear picture of where everyone is, if, if you if you want to hope for the good of the sport that there's some uh, competitiveness there, really the hope is okay. Mercedes doubled down on a bad concept, 
So they're going to fire out of the blocks with this brand new thing and they will revert to the mean. Because if you look at modern Mercedes, the average finishing position is like, you know, 1.2 in the championship. So reverting to the mean after this disaster would be going back up and being competitive. You'd then hope that McLaren's development in season carries over to next season and you'll hope that Ferrari come up with a, a masterstroke under the stewardship of Vasseur. But then crucially as well, you have to hope that Red Bull have gone in a slightly different direction and maybe will stutter a little bit. So that's the thing, Scott, is that we are looking at relatively unlikely things. Like none of those things I've mentioned to bring the competition up are like a sure or nailed on thing. Yeah, they're all, they're all complete unknowns. And what we do know is that it is for the other teams to catch Red Bull. But I think as Matt has already alluded to, I, I'm sure others will I'm probably more well-versed in this than, than I am, but I don't think there's too many regulation changes or technical regulation changes between last season and this season. So that gives the other teams opportunities to continue developing on their car that they've had last year. And, and it's not like they're having to, a certain area of the car has to start from scratch again because of a technical regulation. As you said, everything has kind of a cause and effect. You change one part of the car, it affects something down the front of the car, it affects something down the back end of the car. So um, I'm I'm always an optimist. I like to think we've, we're going to get a closer championship. I still expect Red Bull to be far out there. Max, obviously a man in form, but if someone puts a little bit of pressure on Red Bull, we saw it with Mercedes. So they had it easy for a good few years. As soon as someone, that dominating team, gets a bit of pressure put on them, that's when you start to see um, the, perform- the real races and the uh, championship come to a fight. And see, now we're getting into the interesting stuff because one of the things, one of the few things we're learning, because let's face it, this time of year, it's reading tea leaves. But one of the few things we're learning, and especially about Mercedes, which, you know, w- w- we tend to be a bit Mercedes-centric. No, no, you know, wait, no. Look. A bit. No, look. <laughs> look at, you heard it here first. No, look at the diversity I've brought on. Dan's not here for his looks, oh, is he? He's here a, I am, the he, token Red Bull he's, guy. He's a diversity hire, is, is Dan. No, 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 that's fair. We do have, we do skew towards Hamilton fans and therefore Mercedes a, a bit. You're right. And, and so we have learned some of what went wrong with their last season to assist us in reading these tea leaves. And I do want to talk about that. Go. But I want to bring this up first. Right. I think the team that has the greatest chance or can cover the most ground might actually be McLaren. And this is entirely vibes-based, but there's a couple of things going on here. One, you've got Zach Brown saying, oh, we think it's probably 27 before we can really compete with Ferrari, Mercedes. And Red Bull. So immediately to me, that's a red flag. That's like the year Red Bull put the stickers on the front of the car because they made the changes at the back at testing. Immediately, I'm like, oh, he's definitely trying to blow some smoke here. He doesn't want the expectations. You have Stella saying, oh, no, no, no. We're we're not setting performance targets. We're just setting development targets. Stella is a a master of uh, managing expectations. This to me is very ominous. But crucially, and the thing um, that I really want to focus on most is the fact that out of all of these teams, they're the only team that hasn't said, yeah, we're making wholesale changes to the front and rear suspension, to the gearbox, to the this, to the that, to the everything. They are, they are very convinced they're on the right track here, my belief. And 
Crucially, they have a new wind tunnel on their campus that will be a serious aid in their in, in their chasing development. Can I also uh, throw in another, you like this, spanner in the works? No, I don't like Yay. it. I don't like that joke. It makes me sad. Uh, another thing for this season is uh, who's going to make their free engines last? Because we oh, have God. lost an engine from the PU allocation for this season. I can't well, believe we... that. What do you think of that, Dan? Like, and also, why? Why have they done that? They go the other way, if anything. It's, it's frustrating, isn't it? This is a family-friendly show. We right? say things so like turp, turnip and derp derp There are lots of things I could say that would get you taken off the air in how I feel about this. <laughs> go on, go for it. It's a good if, diversion. If you want your engine formula to to have that element of endurance go do it in the endurance series go do it in WEC get out of here with this is Formula 1 give me an engine that will only last a race I don't care it's Formula 1 like oh it's all the green credentials things like that you're flying around the world like 12 times <laughs> yeah, 24 also, times yeah. a year you can't claim green credentials Give them an engine that lasts a weekend, mate. Oh. Uh, nonsense. Also, I've said this a lot before, that I, I, I do believe it's a bit of a false economy. So you see the, oh, only three or four engines. That sounds good. But what you don't see is the development costs and footprint of making engines that reliable. You, you don't think that there's a, a graveyard of dyno-tested engines that have just been absolutely exhausted, spent and destroyed so that you could have these three that last the season it's a false. It's a false economy. I would love to see the maths, but I do not believe that going ultra reliable just for the optics of it necessarily is actually the most resourceful way to go about things. Scott, we're also going to see once again the the, the typical tracks where they all take engine penalties at Spa, um, Mon, uh, Monza. That, that there's certain tracks where they get devalued because drivers are out of position. And we don't necessarily get the fights that we deserve because they go, ah, oh, we'll, we'll take an engine penalty here. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's just a, it's another typical ridiculous decision by them, isn't it? Well, I'm just enjoying deliciously the fact that this is a rule that the teams actually voted for themselves. Yeah, and it's now good. come around and they're complaining about it. That's like when you agree <laughs> to do the thing and you forget about it. And then the day before someone says, thank you for hosting the Society of Paper Cups Appreciation Society at your house for eight hours tomorrow. And you're like, oh, wait, did I agree to do that? Oh, I have agreed to do that. Why did I agree to do that? I'm enjoying every last bit of this. But hey, you know, there's an easy answer. They can just run their engines in a less powerful mode and they'll yeah. last longer. Yes, Definitely. I predict Ferrari oh, will Formula be the one, though, is it? Yeah, I predict <laughs> Ferrari will be the first to go. Yes, let's be conservative and, and turn our engines down. Um, yeah, sorry. I don't know how we got diverted onto that. I think it was Dan's fault. Uh, oh, right. That was the um, that was the un unfortunate thing in the works comment trying to distract me from all the goodness going on at Mercedes. I'll just touch on McLaren because that's where we were when we left with that diversion. But McLaren are one of the few teams as well, other than probably Aston Martin, who made big gains at the start of the season, so they got pinned back, who have made a lot of personnel changes. Um, they've been on a big recruitment drive. There was um, a big restructure in the head of their um, head of their departments. I don't know if they're on the top of my head. And as we know, that always takes a bit of time for those appointments to come in but their experience to, to come into effect into a team because of the gardening leave and then the delay of those changes, et cetera, and what they implement. And 
next year's, I think, is when we're going to see that be applied. And I think some of them already, we saw that last year on the car and the team. And yeah, I'm, I'd love to see McLaren fighting for actual race wins again. It's been way too long, in my opinion. That's optimistic, isn't it? I think that's... I'm an optimistic guy, Spanners, okay? I'm hoping there's a close championship next year as well. I'm trying to give people hope. Okay, so look, out of the... Who have we said are the ones that could challenge? So we're saying Mercedes, Ferrari... McLaren. McLaren. I think they're the underdogs here. I think they're the overlooked contenders. Okay, so I'll set my my stall out. Where did they finish in the championship this year? Fourth. Fourth in the end. They beat Aston, I think. Yeah. Yeah, They did beat Aston. and, And I would say, yes, obviously they made a leap up the grid, but they did cash in on being developing while other teams were not developing. I really think people are getting a little bit carried away. I would look to the form the season before and say, right, where did they finish the season before? And now we're talking about them winning races and potentially challenging Red Bull. If they did that, here you go again. This is the same with my Aston Martin predictions at the beginning of last season. If they did that, that would be one of the most incredible performance leaps of a team this century in Formula One. So let's be really sure what we're talking about here. You're talking about McLaren, a McLaren who had just about really managed to establish themselves in the midfield, then got a regulation set completely wrong and tumbled right to the back of the field and then came back a bit, you know, towards the end of the season. We're saying that McLaren could potentially challenge the most dominant car in F1 history. Big, big shout. Bring it. Because I'll tell you, this story goes back to 2022 and the French... Grand Prix when Brown realized these changes needed to be made. So you're talking about a plan that's already spent 18 months being executed. And when they were able to, unfortunately, not be ready for the start of the season, basically in half a season, they had nine podiums and were often the second fastest team. They're not changing anything. They have a long-term plan. And clearly with the new wind tunnel, they have money and they have resource. They may not be able to catch Red Bull, but I would argue they might be able to make the most progress against them out of any team because they're changing the least and they clearly understand their car. And if they did, of course that's possible. You know, people can brawn things. It can happen. I'm just saying, let's put it in perspective. It would be a like an, a GOAT improvement. It would be like a greatest of all time. Oh my goodness, what, what, the, what are the geniuses at McLaren doing here so that's why i'm not really willing to say mclaren finishing i think fourth is still the objective for for mclaren dan spanners you know me i know, no, you. I know you i know you you know i like an outrageous seasonal bet oh no we, 2022 <laughs> yeah. where i shaved my beard off yeah because i said mercedes weren't going to win a race please don't do that please don't wrong. do that again please dan please don't do that last again. year i said if ferrari win the championship i'll drive to marinello in a fiat panda <laughs> okay, that didn't happen it's pretty safe that one yeah go on here's i'm gonna for you because i know you like a tiktok you can yeah. put this out there for 2024 okay. my outrageous seasonal bet mclaren win a race before mercedes i, I haven't we need to define the terms and the, the wager, but that's what I'm going for. That's okay. okay that's a more reasonable thing because they could come out of the blocks and Mercedes could could stutter with their new concept. So in order to kind of define that bet, you have to go, well, how well do we think Mercedes are, are going to do out of the block? So I guess that's a, that's a good natural progression while Dan thinks about what he'll do if he's wrong. But Dan, please, with that beard, you are a magnificent like Viking warrior looking kind of dude. Thank With, you. Without your beard, 
I'm not taking it off. My wife's threatened me. Yeah, I think, and I think she'd be. I think she'd be I right again. To, yeah, I think she'd be right to leave you and and do violent crimes on you. Mm. <laughs> you should clearly dye it the color of the winning livery. I mean, oh. I'm already. It's already ginger anyway. To yeah, be honest, he can't dye it orange, can he? No, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. So, so, but that would be his winning bet. So, if he loses the bet, we need to yeah. see that beard fully uh, silver. A fully silver beard. Or or the yeah. Patronus teal or whatever that colour is. Mm. Oh, yeah, I could do like a, like a stripes of teal. Yeah, so a teal moustache and a full grey beard. Oh, my God, you're going to look like Santa. It's going to be the best. Yeah. Okay. Santa that's been sniffing biros. So, Matt, where do we start then? If we're moving on to uh, Mercedes proper, James Allison made a comment, which I jokingly responded to on, on, on Twitter by going, oh, oh, dear. Because he sort of had a little bit of a complaint about this regulation set, saying the cars are too stiff, they're too horrible, the ground effect, it's all about how low you can run it. And it's, it's a bit pessimistic. If you happen to be a Lewis Hamilton Mercedes fan, you want him to say, do you know what, I've really got a handle of these regulations. And when, you, when it gets down to it, these regulations are brilliant and easy to make a fast car out of. Why would he come out and go, God, these regulations are a right headache, aren't they, if he'd nailed it? So I kind of took that as an admission of, it's a bit harder than we thought. Maybe maybe Elliot maybe Elliot was was trying his best and and not doing too bad. Uh, well, I mean, one of the nice things is in this interview they, they've given us a lot of historical information. But just to inform you of where Mercedes is, uh, he said that they're definitely going to have a new chassis, mm-hmm. a new front and rear suspension, that's good, and a gearbox and side pods. So, why won't so they just say like it? Basically everything at this point from a cargo point of view. Why won't they just say side pods? And, and, and don't worry, guys, chill. We have got side pods this time. Oh, no, no. He talked about the side pods. He said the side pods made them slower. No, don't. Oh, I don't, I don't want to hear that. Scott, but, um, are you filled with optimism from Allison's comments? I'm, I'm not. No, I feel like Mercedes, what we've seen in the past two years, like Lewis does, We've seen them be too honest, which on one hand we appreciate uh, because we're like, not very often do we get honesty from F1 teams. There's too much PR nonsense and kind of trying to um, read between the lines. But I don't know. I think this is a pattern of what we've seen over the last few years where they've been very much wearing their heart on their sleeve. And I, I would be worried. Yeah, I would be worried hearing those comments because why Why would he come out and say those? Like, There's just... I don't know. I think it's just they a, a, yeah, they a pattern don't. of what we've seen seen from Toto, from Lewis, from George, um, just in general. When it's it's like, look, just keep it. Even if you are struggling, just keep it quiet. Just say, yeah, it's going good. This is what's new. Da, 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 da. Like, oh, yeah, I don't know. Now that, that 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 is a good point, Matt. Which is that they don't tend to to play games. They don't tend to sandbag. You know, they, if if they're saying if they're saying it's going a bit rough here, they generally. That's fair. That's true. Yeah. Well, the thing that he talked about that I think is accurate, and and the reason if I'm a Mercedes fan, I'm going to be happier about this season than last season, even though they did a remarkable job with the Franken car that they had, is that essentially Allison said that one of the biggest keys to their season, one of the things they got most wrong was that after putting the car in a place where it had to be run super, it was bouncy, they had to put it super high, and they essentially didn't correctly estimate the change in floor edge height. They went super conservative, decided to keep the car up really high, and very rapidly realized they'd made a wrong choice, but were unable to fix it because of where they had put the the fixed points of the car. 
they couldn't access that extra downforce, that extra platform stability that they are absolutely planning to this season. So I think there's a lot of scope for Mercedes improvement. But the thing that sticks to me relative to the McLaren is how much they are changing. And the more you change and the bigger the changes, the more likely it is you're going to have to do some work to sort things out. Yeah, that doesn't sound very optimistic, does it? But but it it can't very likely be be worse. So so like like Matt's saying there, they did did detail like where they got it wrong and they got it so wrong. And I would love to know the conversation in 2022 at the towards the end of that when they're thinking of 23 and Mike Elliott's going, no, 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 couple of tweaks. Tell you tell you what I'll do. Best I can do, quarter pod. That's the best I can do, yeah. Uh, and he really going into testing. Mike Elliott was being, you know, really optimistic, even as it was going wrong. And Wolf was becoming more and more animated. You know that they they clearly had that 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 fork in the road and decided like, no, double down. I know I've I got this, Toto. I got this. So it feels like it went so badly wrong that even their kind of baseline, just their baseline second try, McLaren style will be enough. And here's the thing. McLaren saw that it was going wrong and, and, and went, no, this is terrible. We need to change it. You know, they, 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 they didn't sink cost. So Mercedes doubled down, sunk cost, chased a bad concept. But you still have to feel that even if, uh, you know, it's just a baseline, it's going to be better than what they've had the last two years. And let's face it, they achieved rather a lot with a terrible car anyway. So, so they don't have to be perfect to be good. So if I'm a Mercedes fan, I'm with you on that. It's going to be better this season. Yeah, the next highest finisher after the Red Bull drivers was was still Lewis Hamilton. Scott? Yeah, and, and the thing is, is that we're talking about Mercedes in a way that this eight-time Constructors World Champions, like we are talking about them that their improvement, and of course what they'll be looking for is to take it to Red Bull and beat them in a championship again. Um, so... I'm sure they'll make improvements. There's them moving the seating position, which Lewis always complained about, yeah. which he didn't like the way the car drive. So, yeah, I mean, last year the car pretty much became a kit car because of just them having to bolt parts on to where it wouldn't necessarily on the chassis and the life pod. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm sure they'll make improvements, but how much? I don't know. Those comments don't exactly air confidence, do they, though? Yeah, well, I think just just to follow up on that, that was actually one of the areas that Allison talked about, the whole seating position thing. And he thinks it was symptomatic of a larger problem, that the car itself was fundamentally unstable on turn-in. And that was feedback he said they got from both drivers, just that Lewis couched it in terms of his seating position. And that for him, the bigger issue was the rear instability on turn-in. And that is something that they feel like with the changes they're making, will be better, much better for both drivers. But interestingly, he also said that they basically just put it down to the fact that they were still suffering from the porpoising and didn't really pay attention to their driver's input the way they should have. So maybe there's some other stuff at Mercedes that's quietly getting fixed under the hood while we're sat in the dealership enjoying our uh, coffee and uh, is it scone or scone? No, Let's no, 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 we are not. Oh, we are not. Do, no, we're not doing that. We're not a commercial local radio. Oh, oh, I can't think of anything to talk about. Oh, do you put your tea bag in first or, or your milk first? No, get some content, loser. 
I'm sorry, that really does, that grinds my gears. <laughs> Whenever I'm driving along, I hear a radio presenter resorting to, is it scone or scone? Is it yeah, teabagging first? And, uh, th- those, those, and they always go, let's settle this once and for all. No, he'll just be doing it again next week. So uh, we haven't covered Ferrari as a, a potential title contender in any great depth. Uh, are Ferrari going to be a title contender? No. All right, so on to the Williams relationship with Mercedes. No, fine. Look, Matt, I just, I just think they'll, they find a way, don't they, Ferrari? It doesn't matter what they do, they, they'll find a way. Well, 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 you know, I was literally going to say, well, since they've admitted they're changing 95% of their car, the answer is no. So, so you just kind of beat me to that. Well, you, um, hang on a minute, but you said Mercedes are changing 100% of their car. But Mercedes have proven that even with the fourth fastest car, they can finish second. Right. Ferrari have proven with the second or third fastest car, they can't always finish second. So I I think there's your difference right there. I mean, I don't know. Maybe this will be finally the year, uh, the first year since what was it? 2000 something that they actually win all the way or are clearly the second best team. But again, Big changes, big risks, and Ferrari has demonstrated that if they don't get it absolutely right, they are not the best at optimizing what they wind up with. And let's be honest, Charles Leclerc, I do like him, but he's going to bin it at least three times this year, isn't he? And he's done that every single year. At some point, he's he's bin the car by overdriving it. Oh, we're so, going to get emails. Do you, do you not uh, realize how well, much... it's facts. It's facts. You look at his last three... Four years, how many crashes and how many times has he crashed So like, on his own volition? So. Yeah, there's a big um, a battle online. Um, like you think that the Hamilton-Verstappen kind of rivalry on, say, Twitter is, is big. There is, there's a huge argument between Leclerc fans and Sainz fans. Like, it's massive and it's bitter to the point it's like, I'm not, I'm not touching that with a, a barge pole. You know, I'd rather express every political opinion on here all in one go than pick a side in some of those Twitter debates, Dan. But like, they are super passionate. And as soon as you like mention one driver being unlucky or being favoured, a swarm of the other fans come in. Yeah, listen, nobody here rates Ferrari. I'll do it. Tafosi, for you, I will, I will carry that torch for you. This year is your year, I promise. Yeah, no, I I approve of you doing that because it uh, they they have the hope every season, and I say the Ferrari fans are some of the best fans out there, and Ferrari do fuel it by they go all out at the beginning. They you know they they definitely aren't caught sitting on the pot waiting to go. They either go or they go. And are you I, referring to the engine mode eleven guide to the preseason? Right. Oh, is it? Have you done that? I, I've watched all your content. So yes. I am referring to that if that was recent. It's the image I've put out on Twitter that's been ap- applicable for the last four years. Where oh, yeah. yes, I have seen the that. end of yeah. Bahrain next year is our year. Yeah. The start of Bahrain testing next year. Next year is our year. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, but this is it, Scott. It's like you just, nobody has faith that that organization will, will do a sustained title push. And I don't know if it's just we, we expect too much of them because we're still harking back to a, a, a glorious time of, of Schumacher's and, and Irvine's. Oh, well, they have the history. They're the most like, synonymous name in motorsport. So, yeah, we hold that high bar for them. But, I mean, I, I will say positive-wise, they have made improvements since Fred Vassil came in last season. I think there were some 
good strategy decisions. Their pit stops were a lot quicker. They were a lot more smoother compared to the previous year when they were absolutely horrendous. So this is, is this Fred's second full year? Second full year. So I think this is now proof in the pudding, whether Fred's appointment is going to actually have had um, some some positivity to the team. We've seen those instant changes which he can make um, have positivity. However, there's still some probably personnel changes. As I've said, the engineers of the drivers don't ever fill me with confidence. But of course, the car, the drivers need the car. And while it's been quick over a single lap and the drivers can show what they can do, and of course, Singapore was that outlier where Red Bull dropped the ball with their setup, we they still need to create a car that can go a full Grand Prix distance. And at the moment, they can't do that. I wonder how much the beginning of 2022, though, has has given people more hope than necessary. Because really, if you look back at 2022, how, how many failures and, and, and DNFs did Verstappen have early in that season? Like It was yeah, quite a lot. Two in three, I think. Two yeah. in three. Yeah, and, and Perez four, had some or, issues or two as well. In four. But if Red Bull had been operationally got had their, their stuff together at the beginning of 2022, I mean, it would have been a much clearer drubbing, a 2023 style drubbing, really. So... When's the last time Ferrari challenged? Well, 2017, 2018. And in the end, you know, that proved to be not quite perhaps a legitimate as a challenge as it looked and then disappeared 2019. 2007, you know, came out of nowhere, really, with a really disorganised uh, McLaren ahead of them throwing things away. But I, I, I don't really see where any optimism for Ferrari really comes from, apart from they've got a new team boss. They're going to roll the dice again. They they just need to be let, left alone, personally by by the corporate by the corporate guys. I mean, look at what their endurance team did. Brand new car, first season, won them on. Okay, there's the BOP etc. But I mean, their their car won their brand new GT3 won the 24 hour of Nordschleife. So as a team in other motorsport, they can do it because they're left to their own devices. Whereas when it comes to Formula One, of course, that's where uh, the name is synonymous with. That's where all the headlines are. I don't know that we've spoken about it on the podcast before Matt has there's there's obviously a, there's too much input probably from higher ups and so we'll see if Fred Fred seems a bit more of a steely guy a bit more hard-faced probably can say no to these higher ups he's been around he's been in leadership a lot longer than Bonotto was um who was a bit too soft so I, I don't know as I said I'm forever the optimist and I want there to be competition. And if Ferrari is fighting for a world championship, uh, whoever it is, whether it be Sainz or Leclerc, I'm, I'm, all, I'm all for that. Can, <laughs> wonderful point in regards to the LMP victory or LMH, whatever it's called now. Uh, however, I do have to point out that that had a Ferrari badge on it, but that team was run by AF Corsa, which is a completely different entity, so which may explain why it won. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, that, that probably explains it. Mm. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So I think, uh, what's a good midpoint in the season? Spa? What's Spa going to be? Race nine, something like that, usually. We are going to Spa yeah, this year. summer break. They haven't killed it yet. Okay, let's say summer break. Come summer break, Ferrari are nowhere near title contention. That would be, and if I'm wrong, I will dye my beard red, but you won't notice because I haven't really got much of a beard. EJ says, um, perhaps uh, Ferrari mess up, and then Steiner will be announced as Fred Vasseur's replacement. There we go. Maybe, maybe. Hello and welcome to our patrons in the live chat. You are the reason that we are here. You're the reason we're able to produce content all throughout the winter, and you're the reason we're able to prioritise this over other things in our lives. If you want to join our army of supporters, please consider going to patreon.com forward slash Apex or click the link in that show notes in the show notes below. You will get an ad-free feed, so no ads ever. Uh, not much of a thank you, but it's, it's the best we can manage. We can't really send out hats. Um, there's also a great patron forum where you can come and hang out. Me and Matt are in there far too much. You'll be the first to know when anything's going on. And, of course, during the season, uh, me and Matt kind of get together on a Friday pre-race and we just do a patron live stream, which is much more informal. So we have a little bit of extra content for you as well. But mostly it's about supporting independent content creators. Otherwise, you know, uh, there's nothing wrong with, uh, you know, what Stack Media and the race and Autosport do, but they are funded. So if if you want a a podcast ecosystem of, of corporations, uh, you know, that's that's fine, but only independent podcasts that are supported survive. So the likes of us and, of course, we should mention Engine Mode 11 Engine Breaking Pod as well. Uh, also, you know, backed and uh, independent and and trying to survive in this crazy world. The the only podcasts that tend to survive are the ones that are backed by patrons in, in, in most parts. So patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. Okay, um, Dan, it was you that mentioned this uh, this relationship with Williams and and Mercedes. Now, it didn't come to me as a great surprise that they continue their their relationship. Do you think it was ever in doubt? Uh, I don't know how true it was, and I, I could just be making things yeah, up. Yeah, make it up. In my Hang elderly on. age, it's, it's not your podcast. You can't just make things up. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, sorry. Uh, I thought they were tempted with the idea of going to to Honda. Again, I may have just completely made that up in my head. Um, 
I'm not surprised that they've remained with Mercedes. However, I will caveat the point that with Aston Martin now leaving the Mercedes family, I bet Mercedes made Williams an offer they couldn't refuse to stay. Because as you're coming up to the new engine regulations, one of the most important things you can have is customer teams putting mileage on your PUs. So, yeah, I bet Mercedes were like, Williams, we'd love you, wouldn't And, you know, made all sorts of offers to get him to stay. Uh, question, I don't know if this sounds stupid. Are McLaren sticking with Mercedes as well? Or have they made an engine deal? Oh, no, I've stumped everyone. They're remaining. Yeah. So that would still mean six cars for, for Mercedes then going forward. Uh, what I'm curious about is how close the relationship between Williams and Mercedes is. So I think traditionally we thought of the Red Bull, Alpha, Tauri, uh, Racing Bulls relationship as out-and-out scandalous four-car team cheating, Dan, as I'm sure we'll all agree. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. We've kind of always Hope known... Steve, I believe is what the kids say online. <laughs> uh, we, we've always kind of known that Ferrari have, has a very kind of a little bit more control over their, their customer teams, uh, like, you know, like Sauber's in the past. Um, you know, the Sauber cars would, would happily jump out of the way as backmarkers if it, it suited uh ferrari but mercedes have kind of got away with it a little bit those kind of accusations and, and i think back to toto wolf marching down the pit lane at monaco to make sure esteban ocon got out of the way in his force india or racing point to make sure he wasn't in the way of lewis hamilton and i go has this control that mercedes have over their customer teams kind of gone under the radar a bit dan uh i don't know controversially i'm going to say yes just to get you some content. Oh, thanks, click clicks. It's all about the clicks, yeah. You're welcome. Um, but in reality, I don't think they've got any more control than what any of the other teams do. I mean, I tell you, it's, it's, it's going looking back in history, but but one situation where the engine manufacturer and the customer team didn't really have much control over each other was the uh, Red Bull Renault days, which were happily oh, during yeah. my time. And that was a beautiful, seamless relationship. No issues there whatsoever. <laughs> Uh, well, basically, Renault got the the blame from Christian Horner, didn't he? And then eventually got rebadged to tag Hoyer. And when people were talking about their relationship with Renault, Christian Horner would, would literally go, what were you talking about? We've got a tag Hoyer engine, not a Renault engine. Just stare dead ass into the camera and say that and then not elaborate. Yeah. Uh, if you knew the things I knew, and I think you know, because I think me and you have had chats <laughs> before, yeah. then you'd probably understand where Christian was coming from. Yeah, so it's not always a harmonious uh, a relationship. But I think I think what I'm leaning at more here, Matt, is I, I wonder why they don't take more advantage. Why don't they leverage more that relationship with a, with a Williams? Um, it's never going to be the same as Red Bull Alpha Tauri. But I suppose they do a lot. They've, they've got, they put their drivers there. You could argue that James Valves is there as kind of a training vehicle for taking over Mercedes eventually. But maybe you'd be foolish in this era of Formula One to not take advantage of those relationships, especially when there's such a successful blueprint of it in the Red Bull camp. Well, yeah. And, and let's not forget that before Renault absolutely blew up their relationship with Red Bull, get it, blew up, they did win a few world championships with them. So the thing that's interesting about this to me is we are coming into a new set of power unit regulations that will not be the same as what we've had since 2014. So there is every opportunity for someone to get it right on the power unit side in a way that they didn't in this previous set, where we've mostly got parity. 
But I think what this overlooks is the deal from William's point of view. And now, if I was James Valls, yeah, I'd have had some dinners at Veery just to make Mercedes anxious and jealous. But if I'm James Valls, I never had any intention of going any other place for the very simple reason that they're still trying to catch up on their resource outside of just building a car and taking a brand new power unit that you're not, haven't been building a car for takes a lot of extra tools in engineering. And they probably rather stick with Mercedes where they get good information. They're going to know ahead of time what to expect. And it's not going to be that, that different than what they've already been playing with. So I see this as an advantage for Williams as well. Plus, if Mercedes was really worried about it, they probably got some extra money out of it. They'll get some talented junior drivers coming their way. Exactly. You know, it's, 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 it's a happy medium, I think, for both, both, both sides of this equation. If I was Williams, I would happily become a protectorate of Mercedes at this point. So if you remember Claire Williams, the previous team principal, making really kind of bold statements like, no, we, we'd never become a, a B team. We're fiercely independent. We're still looking at the championship kind of thing and really running it in that way, in the old spirit of the olden days, Williams. Whereas now, I think it's probably going to be sensible to take a more realistic approach, which is you're not a massive dominant force within Formula One. You may as well alpha tower yourself for a little bit, but then leave yourself like a little exit clause for when you suddenly become mid-table and you can start pushing. But, you know, if you were Williams, Mercedes doesn't see you as a threat right now. So you could probably get like really good stuff out of that. Yeah, James Bowles seems to be quite a shrewd guy. Um as Matt just just said, why why risk redeveloping and changing the car around a new engine when you already have familiarity with Mercedes in general, coming from them, coming from that company only a couple of years ago, and that team working with that engine for quite some time. He's also made the same decision with keeping the same driver lineup as well, whereas myself included and many others have not really seen Logan Sargent as the right appointment to keep that but it's referring to type he knows that driver it's better to have the same resource the same drivers to help move the team forward than to completely go off down a new route because there's there's a serious amount of catching up that they have to do compared to other teams last one from me on this kind of team on team partnership well we've got dan here i know you've got your spies in the paddock I know you're still, I've seen you loitering around Milton Keynes with, with your selfies outside various places. Claim, like blend in with all the vagrants there, yeah, mate. just claiming, oh, I'm just passing by. I'm not, I'm not doing anything weird. So listen, answer, answer us this. Obviously, okay. Alpha Towery has been out in the doldrums. So the question is, how, how much are they going to turn that around and, and really lean on that relationship with Red Bull. And what on earth is that team called now? Because I think the RB at the end is going to be racing bulls. I don't even know. Even I don't even know what it's called. And a part of me thinks that the marketing department doesn't even know what it's called yet. I think they're still <laughs> sitting around to decide. The stickers haven't been printed yet. No, you can do them last minute, so it's no mm. big deal. I think the RB at the end will turn out to be racing bulls. That's what they're doing. Yeah, I'll go with that. Mm-hmm. Sounds feasant. You know, feasible to me. But so in how, regards to yeah. Alpha Towery and lever- leveraging, uh, um, as much as legally possible, obviously. And I think it's 
a part of me thinks it's the shrewd sort of yeah by the way our fines of at least is running out uh are we going to renew it mm, why don't we just move it to the uk instead <sighs> matt how how high up the championship table can racing bulls go before the rest of the paddock goes hang hang on a minute wait a minute this is a four car team well see this is interesting you, you you've kind of hit the nail on their yes. on the head is is that Alpha Tauri to me potentially could make the greatest leap of all from the C championship to the beach? They're doing everything. They just got a new team principal. They're consolidating in England where it's much easier to hire talent and get people to go. And they're spending money and they're taking all of the parts from a team that's built uh, two world championship cars in a row. So that simplifies your life a lot. They're spending more money. They're building new facilities. They're the exact opposite of Haas when they were in basically the same situation going into this season. They showed some signs of life at the end of the year. Plus, you have this amazing driver battle that's going to happen between Ricardo and Tsunoda. So, yeah, to me, I think Alpha Tauri is one to watch. And they might be on occasion fighting with the Astons and the Alpines next season come on yuki let's go right listener questions oh, i can't help but go back to down there a little thumbs up are you a yuki fan too because we are few and far between i just I, listen i love a little sweary guy i think he's brilliant <laughs> that's why we're friends yeah <laughs> okay, you, cool. you've heard the story about when i first met yuki haven't you no tell me tell me when he was in the canteen at Milton Keynes, when he visited to use the simulator once, and I, he was standing in front of me in the queue in the canteen. <laughs> and it's, I, was, I turned around to the person standing next to me. I was like, who brought their kid to slide oh, to work? Why is it just why is this child here? And he was like, no, that's, that's Yuki Sonoda. He's like, oh, F2 driver or whatever. And I was like, oh. I'm oh, sorry. is he not a big Viking gorilla like you, Dan? Do we all have to be huge Frankish man bears, do we, Daniel? No, I just... No, I'm just jealous. I'm on the wrong side of 100 kilos, mate. That's all it is. Yeah, you got to sort that out for Mr. Apex Karting. Oh, I have Mr. Apex things to plug quickly. So, firstly, Dan is in. Dan Jury is in. He's going to be part of our iRacing rep Season 10. Uh, we are going to be do- running on Fridays. I think the first one is February the 9th. And then we do it sort of once a month. It's three evenings. Scott races in there. Scott, we can bully you into racing this, can't we? Yeah, Scott's in there. Um, we do basically, we're going to do an F4 race followed by an F3 and then a super formula race on the same track. It's on iRacing software. If you're interested in that, uh, we've got a £25 sub for the for the whole season for six events, including uh, lots of uh, practices and stuff. And we're all on Discord, and it's a lovely time. Email racecontrol at gmail, no, racecontrol at mistapex.net for more information or just DM me. The other thing is, very excited to announce that we are two episodes in to our Formula E podcast so we have missed apex formula e imaginative title and we've just covered and we just had our first race review for the mexico mexico city epri that was on saturday as well so we've got a team there headed up by christina lee mace and chris stevens and matt trumpets was there and brad was on the first race review as well it was very well and handsomely produced by me and um, so we've got that and we've got the moto GP podcast as well, relaunching back into and firing into 2024 after a great start at the end of last season. So stay tuned for all the Miss Apex stuff. It's becoming a bit of a bit of a network, this. Okay, Matt, listener questions. There's a tire one in there. I see you've sneaked one in. 
Well, I mean, I wasn't going to ignore it. That just seemed rude. <laughs> okay, why don't we let you have the tyre one first? Matt, Mike Irwin says, are there any changes to the tyres this year? Uh, indeed, they're going to be using round tyres again this year in Formula One. Now, uh, the the main thing is they're not, they've officially dropped the C0 tyre that I believe never got used last season. Right. Uh, but most of the tire development was for the uh, non-blanket regulations that then also got postponed. Thank goodness. So essentially, the tires are 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 the same. Uh, remember, there were updates brought in halfway through the season to cope with the downforce that was uh, that that the teams were bringing sooner than uh, Pirelli or the FIA expected. But there is the exciting, they're going one step softer at Australia this year based on last season's data. So perhaps we'll see a little bit more interest in the tyre strategy department when we get to Melbourne. All right, so no changes then, which is bad Basically. because they needed yep. to go softer. Well, I'm right. They needed to go softer. Yeah? Panel? Well, I, I don't, don't know about overall compounds, but they need to make bolder oh, choices with the yeah, compounds when it they comes have. To, yeah, because they were quite conservative. Yeah. So I think the, the one-stop races. Uh, have have really typically been the ones that are, are are kind of dull. And you go, well, whenever there's been any kind of variety in either weather, tyre strategy, a little bit of extra tyre wear, the, the races have, have come alive. It's almost been a one-for-one one ratio of one stop equals a bit dull and not one stop and dry. It equals, you know, an interesting race. So hopefully they've just looked at that and gone, Pirelli, you just need to... Be a little bit braver. And and here, here's a good question, Matt. Is it Pirelli that chooses the tyre allocation for each race? Uh, yeah, I believe they do choose the compounds based on previous season's data plus their testing data. And that's going to be chosen primarily. And and this is the thing with the limited testing. This is, this is where you do run into trouble. They're going to choose tyres primarily that won't uh, explode halfway through a race unexpectedly. Mm. And with the amount of energy that gets put into the tires with modern cars is tremendous. I, I don't want to make light of the engineering yeah. required to keep the tires from exploding <laughs> to speeds and energies in modern Formula One. They're going to err on the side of caution. And that's where we do get caught out some. So Pirelli sort of make a decision and then Red Bull ratify that. Sorry, the FIA ratify that. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, the FIA is now nearly entirely Red Bull employees, isn't it? The whole it's a it's a it's a stitch up, Dan. Wait until you find out who owns, who runs <laughs> FIA, mate, and all that, and uh, Formula One. It will blow your mind. Is it John Tot? It used to be, didn't it? Yeah, I'm just going to keep no. saying names. You can't drop something like that and then not give us a hint. What are you driving oh, at, um, Dan? Domenicali, isn't he? He, run, he owns F1 now, or runs F1, and he's an ex-Ferrari guy. Yeah, but he runs the commercial side, isn't it? He's, but right, yeah, well, John Tott then used to run the FIA, and he was an ex, ex-Ferrari guy. Listen, the paddock, FIA, F1, it's all just one big circle of incest, mate. It's Everyone's been everywhere. Oh, look, the, yep. the ex-Red Bull guys dampening down the influence of Red Bull at the FIA Kel Surprise, Daniel. Yeah. Just checking my bank account. There's yeah, yeah, yeah. Bank accounts got a deposit. <laughs> that, that ding sound in the background is like, thank you, Mr. Drury. We uh, appreciate your we appreciate your support. Uh, we've got a good question here from Mike Hatfield. He says, what similarities and differences do you see between the careers of, of Vettel and Verstappen at, at Red Bull? I, I think this is a deeply interesting question as someone who I rate Max Verstappen 
like very, very highly, like ultimate, ultimate on the echelons of Formula One. And I don't really, I've never rated Vettel at all. As a, obviously, he's much better than than me and my nan at driving. But I always felt like that 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 little period of Red Bull just flattered him uh, just a little bit. It was a perfect storm, and he hasn't looked. He didn't look the same since afterwards. So I think there's enough evidence already to say that that the Verstappen's career is much better than. Sebastian Vettel's career but you do get a lot of pushback by that because he turned into Papa Vettel by the end of his career and he was farming bees everyone loves a a beekeeper you know and once he got to beekeeping age everyone loved him but I cannot imagine Verstappen leaving Red Bull even after this season and then going and getting you know beaten four or five times by by teammates and and failing to make an impression or making pay drivers look good Uh, am I I, I miles off the mark Scott? Uh to an extent, I think Vettel didn't exactly get get wiped the floor out at Ferrari, did he? Um, who was his Who was his teammates well, when he was they, at Ferrari? They, they, so, so they had they'd set a poor old Raikkonen and Massa up to be like foils and for as out and out number twos, and then Leclerc came in as the the young buck, and then they flipped a switch, and then like all of a sudden, you know, Vettel's pace disappeared, and and Leclerc was all over him. Yeah, I, I think arguably, yeah, you can say obviously Verstappen he has that. Wow, he's like quick from the get go. Um, I think with Vettel, we didn't really quite get that. Obviously, we had that really that amazing win in the Toro Rosso in Monza. At Monza that yeah. year. Um, but I mean, his championships aren't anything to scoff at. I mean, I didn't like it at the time because they were purely kind of dominant. But when I actually, I was a lot younger back then. But when I actually look back on it, they were good championship fights, and he had to go against a fight in Alonso. He had to contend with his teammate. He showed uh, some compared aggressiveness as well. Obviously, multi-21, Seb, uh, that you'd probably see from Verstappen as well. So I think there's there's a lot of similarities. uh, And I think Vettel had, thus far, Vettel had to contend with a lot more, um, a lot more competitors and fight probably harder for it than Max has thus far. Obviously, 2021, but 2022 and 2023 have been breezes. He hasn't even had to fight a teammate. So, yeah, I mean, I think arguably, yeah, Max is, Max is the better driver and, and will be remembered as such. But I think there's also there's a lot more similarities and there are differences, I think. Yeah, I would tend to agree. I think they're closer, and especially in championship form. Uh, the differences I see, uh, I don't even know if I say the differences. Vettel had a unique gift with that blown diffuser. And being able to drive it in a completely what was described as non-intuitive fashion to get the most out of it. And certainly, Mark Webber could not do that at all. So I think you have to hand it to Verstappen in terms of being, uh, in, uh, to Vettel, in terms of being a talented driver. He took a weird and difficult to drive car and took it to four championships. That's not a nothing burger. But I think if we're talking sort of classic drivers, the thing I see out of Verstappen was he he has had a gift for exploiting all the holes in the rules to his advantage and zero hesitation about doing that, even at a young age. But what's missing is we have the whole post-Red Bull Vettel career that's Mm. helped us forget exactly how good Vettel was during his peak years. And Mm. we just... If I was going to make a point, I would just say, I don't think we've seen enough of Verstappen yet to know how that's going to go. Because he he strikes me as the kind of person who might just, you know, pack up and go someplace else altogether. 
once he gets bored. So we might never see that kind of long tail pop of Verstappen that we saw with Vettel. I, I think Weber was not was the out-and-out number two driver, and I think he was punching well above his weight, and he re- made miraculous things happen. But he was at the end of his career, and he said he retired because he wasn't getting any any quicker. 2013 was an absolute cakewalk. Any any of the, the top half of the grid going in that 2013 car against Mark Webber would have cruised the championship. I, I just really think they're some of the most overrated titles in, in F1 history. And they four of them came at once, so that was great. But it isn't a case of his career afterwards let us forget about how good he was between that and 2013. I really feel like the rest of the career puts into context what was going on at, at Red Bull during that time. Was that Were you there at the time, Dan, at Red Bull? For the Vettel years? Was that after, uh, not after you? Vettel, no. You're not no. that old. But just to throw the hmm. cat amongst the pigeons, because I know how much you're a ham you're saying overrated Lies. Vettel titles. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. I'm... Most of Hamilton's titles, he was just fighting a teammate who was a complete bum. Oh, so... no, now hang on. Let's not... We're calling Bottas a bum or saying he shows his bum. What, what are we saying here? Uh, I agree. A bit of column A, a little bit of column B. <laughs> By the way, I completely agree that some of Hamilton's uh, titles were, were complete cakewalks. So 2020 and 2019, you're not, they're never going to be classed as, as great championships. But I don't think you can say the same of of 2008 I don't think you can say the same of uh, the battles against Nico Rosberg so and I don't think you can say the same of won it in 2008 didn't he because they avoided Singapore oh no no oh yeah there we go sorry 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 I suppose we could also then say you know he he fought hard for what should have been the world title in 2021 Uh, Mark asks nothing wrong with that at all Mark asks a related question Mark in our patron chat a Question for the panel. Eddie Irvine was recently quoted as saying he doesn't think Hamilton will win another championship. So my question is, why do you think anyone asked Eddie Irvine what he thinks about (laughs) anything? (laughs) That's really funny, Mark. Uh, I think the headlines and the clickbait was a little bit unfair to Eddie Irvine. He said a lot of really complimentary things about Lewis Hamilton, slightly remarked that he said he thought Vettel was the out-and-out faster person and was saying, you know, Vettel's at his peak in his career. Hamilton's probably towards the the back end of his career. I don't think it was particularly outrageous um, what Eddie Irvine Max. was saying. Huh? Max. Max. Vettel's not racing. Oh, Vettel sorry. in the peak of his career. Sorry, we've been talking about Vettel. Uh, yes, thank you very much. So yeah, I don't think it's unfair at all to say Vettel's at his absolute peak and Hamilton's probably uh, a little past his peak because it would be incredible had he maintained his peak towards, you know, towards 40. So yeah, I think Eddie Irvine was taking a little bit out of context. Well, thank you for those listener questions. I think, Matt, we'll have to do an out-and-out mailbag at okay. some point soon. But for now, as we've been doing over the winter, I want to kind of end the show spiritually here and take a little bit of time out to meet the panel. Me and Dan mentioned 2021 without a fight. It's the most mature thing our, our relationship has ever endured. Uh, let's start with you then, Dan. Uh, because you are, uh, you're a very nice man, and you've always been very nice to me whenever we've spoken. Thank you. And except for when you gave my son a, a, a Red Bull annual from when you were working at the team, and it was very nice, and it was all signed by people, uh, and that briefly made him a Max Verstappen fan, which made me very, very angry with you. That's a, yep. That was part of my operation. Yep. That was a get them while they're young. It nearly worked. Yep. It nearly, it nearly worked. I think the the Norris. The Norris is a the Norris kind of wave with the youngs yeah. has overtaken him though. That's it? fair enough. Yeah, he failed. Uh, but uh, what's really interesting with you, Dan, is that post working uh, for for Red Bull as what I would describe as a as a Derek, 
Uh, you've become a great content creator on the Engine Breaking podcast, and you've become something of a, a sensation in the F1 Twitter community with over 100,000 followers. And and I would say, as I was saying post uh, pre, pre-stream, if anyone's going to have 100,000 followers, I'm glad it's someone who is, who is nice and generally not divisive. But what a journey that's been for you on social media. Yeah, look, let's not be around the bush. I used to be very toxic, right? <laughs> okay. I've grown as a person, and as such, my following has grown with me. So, yeah. I, suppose, I, I used to be yeah. very, very uh, devout Red Bull fanboy, right? Obviously, they were paying my wages. Why wouldn't I be? Oh, and that's changed now, has it? Not necessarily, but I'm more relaxed, you know? I'm not so upset if someone else wins a race now, you know, well, like in the past. That's barely been tested lately, but okay. I'm still angry about Esteban Ocon absolutely uh, lucking into a win. Yeah, you're, you're trying. You're trying to draw me into this conversation, but sure, I'll, 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 I'll bite. I mean, to the extent that the faster cars took themselves out, yes. <laughs> to the extent he led 58 laps and Vettel couldn't pass him and an Aston that was slightly overfueled, well, then no, I think from that point of view, he kind of earned it. But what about when Ocon? wiped out Verstappen oh, cruelly at no. Interlagos. That was that My was therapist that says we're not allowed <laughs> to talk about this. That was really funny. That was so funny. Because didn't they have the little pushing match after that? Was that 2019 as well? Yeah. Yeah. That was yeah. that was the that was a they had some they had they had a long standing beef and that just sort of made it worse. I'm team, I was working in yeah. the ops room for that race and I can tell you now we had to replace a monitor. <laughs> oh no. But I And did... it may have been mine. Oh no. I do think that was Verstappen's kind of was being a little unreasonable there. Ocon was like four seconds on reflection. Then you know I could say fifty fifty. But at the time, if mm. if I was at the track, I think it'd have been me rather than Max that was getting done for GBH. I wasn't very happy. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like you you were. Um, and now, the, the, is there a divide in the racing teams? Because you know you're not an aerodynamicist. You're you're working on the infrastructure, a race side, and a lot of the communications, you know, systems that the teams use. I'm wondering, in the cafeteria, is there a divide between, say, the the car-focused people and the logistics and infrastructure people? There's there's three clicks in an F1 team, right? You've got the race team, so the guys that are out that go to every single race, they 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 operate on their own special little island, right? There's there's media and marketing, they operate oh, on their own special little island, and then there's everyone else. Oh, I see. So is it like if you try and go and sit with the aerodynamicists, are they like, you can't sit with us? You're not even wearing pink. No, they don't mind that. But if, you know, <laughs> media and marketing, you'd never get a chance to sit with them right. because they're always getting wined and dined. <laughs> and, you know, if you if you want that true VIP lifestyle, you, you think you associate with an F1 team, get into the media and marketing side, mate, because they just rock up late. They go early. Oh, <sighs> I like that. With the management, I suppose. That's all part and parcel of the management. It was, uh, Matthew Carter would say to us, yeah, the team would get there on Wednesday. I- I'd tip up at some point Friday. Yeah, exactly. They'd, they'd media and marketing come in, take a few photos, <laughs> film a few GoPros, and then have a go at people like me of, why can't we upload this 400 gigabyte of 4K video in an hour sort of thing? Oh, that's your fault. So wh- why then, when, when leaving the F1 team, obviously you could walk away from F1. Your trade is... is uh, almost universal you can work in a, a number of industries uh what made you decide just to spout uh rubbish online instead uh it was my coping mechanism <laughs> for, for uh, uh were you sad to leave did you do you miss it 
I I have moments where I miss it. Like so winter testing, when that rolls around, I always think oh, I could have been out there. Um but then there's like events like Japan and Australia where it's like a twenty hour flight or whatever and I'm just like, Yeah, don't miss that. No, I'm good. Especially with like the young that. family as well. Yeah, yeah. And I left. Um I promised my wife we'd win a championship and then I'd leave. Michael Massey saw fit to make yes. that happen. Yeah. That's so cool. I was like, yeah, cheers, pal. We'll take that. You know, I don't care how we won it. A win's a win. So uh, then my son was born. <laughs> I was like, yeah, okay, I'm done. Yeah. And it's, it's good that you have that. Um, you do have an insight, I think, much more, obviously, on the engineering side, maybe, you know, less so. They probably didn't let you in the in the wind tunnel to let your glorious. Yeah. They did. Listen, that Red Bull, on there purpose. was I think, only about five people that had access to every part of everywhere, and I was one of them. Because you needed to be there to plug all the things in. Pretty much, yeah. Oh, man, you could have stolen and taken photos of so much. Maybe I did. Who Maybe. knows? Uh, I'll, I'll tell one tale of something you, you said to me when you were working at Red Bull. And uh, I think it was a... I'll try not to stop your future chances of being employed elsewhere. Uh, but you, I, we were talking about memorabilia. And you said to me, if I could see what was thrown out at the back of the factory, I would cry. Yeah. Yeah. Body panels, uh, rims, wings. They just, they, it all has to be, because it's IP, isn't it? Mm. Intellectual oh, so it has to be like destroyed properly out the back. Yeah. There might just be the tiniest of scuff marks on it, but they have to take it and get it shredded. And it's and just like, how much do you really have that in my yeah. garage? I was going to say, how much of that is in your garage right now? Not, not a single piece. Not a single thing. Uh, uh, there might be something. <laughs> what are you doing? What's he getting at? Oh, he's he's showing us an item? Doing it live. He's doing it live. Sorry, audio listeners. He's showing us a bit of shrapnel from a... That is a oil inspection cover from the RB14. That's actually, that's pretty neat. That rivals your Formula E tyre, I think, Matt. That is only here because I forgot it was <laughs> in my bag and then I left and I was like, oh, oh no, what you, a shame. You, you forgot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I would forget yeah. so much that, That's stuff happened to me I, before too. If I worked out. Um, Dan, I do encourage people, you know, if they want a break from this Apex to go and check out the Red Bull Fossey over at the Engine Breaking Podcast where you and uh, former performance engineer and now turned streamer Blake are, what, 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 it's at break, isn't it, with several A's. Break. Several R's. Mm. So you, you right. just copied me. You went into podcasting and got yourself an American to podcast with. That, that, that has been my thing for years. A little bit, yeah. Mm. A little bit. It's because I, I wasn't a high enough standard mm. to, to come here and be like a full-time participant on here. So I was like, no, I'll go stink up the airwaves somewhere That's else. That's not true. We've invited Dan. Dan is welcome here anytime. Dan Drury, go and follow at Engine Mode 11 yeah. and check out the Engine Breaking pod. And that brings us to uh, for the fantastic uh, streamer. He's, he's too tall. His hair's too good. I don't like to stand too close to him when photographs are being taken, just for my ego. But Scott, uh, this has been, without doubt, your best year in streaming. Your TikTok is taking off. Uh, you're able to keep calm while streaming, even when there's cars crashing all around you. And actually, the crashing content on your TikTok is some of the best sim racing content on online. It, it has been a bumper year for the stuffy brand. Yeah, yeah. The channel's dramatically grown on, on YouTube. Um, just under 17,000 subs now, so nearly 10,000 in the year. Yeah, I love That's it. good. I love, I love what I do. Uh, obviously, still working full-time and in, in a nine-to-five job or eight-to-five job. Uh, so, 
yeah, uh, 2024 is looking very good. Got a, a big announcement that's uh, due to be announced this week. You can't hopefully. tell us. So we have to follow you online to make sure that we can... Uh, yeah, so I'm hoping we have the first special event on iRacing this year, a 24-hour endurance event um, that I'll be doing with my community. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's the 24 hours of Daytona. There's always lots of hype surrounding it, so I'll be live streaming that. So I'm hopefully, uh, yeah, I've... I can announce it on on Saturday. We were so, nearly yeah, in guys. a team. We were nearly in a team together, me and Scott, because it was sort of meant yeah. To we be were like a, we were recruited and then rudely dumped. We wasn't were dumped. We? It was meant by, to be an influencer. Yeah, it was meant to be like an influencer type team with Brad and um, Callum McIntyre from Driver Fifty Watt Sixty One, uh, and me and you. And then yeah, he dumped us for a team that could actually drive, which I think is sensible. So you're still doing uh, yeah, it. I, I'm I don't. Not. I don't disagree with that. To be honest with him. So, uh, but yeah, no, I I love it. And yeah, I've been doing the F1 watchalongs as well for mm. the last season, last season and a half. And it's amazing how many people tune in for those and keep coming back. <sighs> so interested in those. Like Dan, do you ever do live watchalongs? Uh, I don't because obviously I've got a young family, so mm. my time is limited. Like the only reason I'm here tonight is because they're all in bed, <laughs> right? But, uh, you really work you, very well. You did Tomo F1. You did Tomo F1's one. Like me and Brad did that as well. I think you did that one live in London with him. Uh, yes, mm. me and you have both been and done that. Yeah. And coincidentally, they've now shut down. So yeah, I, don't know I was the last one. <laughs> I think they shut, they decided after what we, me and Brad, were on. Um, no, let's not do it. It is difficult though, Scott. To do it, I yes. mean, do you have the the commentary as well on there, or do you just so go? Oh no, I do it. There's people that do it in different formats. I particularly do it um, as a visual aid. So I do the, you can see the, the timings and the intervals, and you can also see a track map. And then I'm providing my alternative commentary. Um, I use Sky, Sport off, Sky Sports off screen because of copyright reasons as kind of a supporting information and to be able to see replays of, of uh, overtakes and like the start, et cetera. Uh, and yeah, I, I do it as kind of a, a back and forth, providing alternative commentary, my own opinions on on items, and and the chat gets involved as well. Mm. So we have that back and forth of like minded F one fans while the race is while the race is on. Yeah, and I think me and Matt, have, we've we've definitely thought about doing it, but I think it's such a specific skill. Like you, you're not a screamer, Scott, are you? You're not like a and there it goes. So it's definitely try, an alternative. Yeah, yeah. I, I try not to be. Um, I'm I'm not really like that. I, I've got my own unique kind of commentary style. Um, I think sure. that I've just kind of fell into. It's kind of just started out that way. But I really enjoy it, and I'm looking forward to doing it again this season. I try and do as many sessions as I can. The practice sessions I can't do because I'm I, I'm working. But I try and do qualifying and the race, and. Um, yeah, combined with the sim racing contents and hopefully, as I said, some in real life contents this year, um, it'd be yeah another good year for the channel and a step closer to becoming full time, I guess. I must admit, like when I was thinking about doing live watch alongs, I, I, I pretty much I saw yours and just went, I don't, I can't, I don't think I can do that. So it, it was, <laughs> and that's meant to be a compliment to you. Um, and then when I did it at Tomo's live in studio, I went, ah. Yes, I kind of get it, but I didn't get the race experience well well doing it. So I didn't have enough, I guess, pundit capacity to, to be presenting and in, enjoy the race. found myself lacking a lot of those details. But if you want uh, any of the Missed Apex people to, to jump on and keep you company ever on your, on your watch-alongs, do let us know. But you're talking about you can't do the practices because you've got a day job. And I actually hate thinking about the Missed Apex panel as real people with jobs. I'm like, no, you're just... The shed is the important thing. You don't have jobs. I get, I get jealous. 
But you're, um, you've got a proper grown-up smart people job. You are a, uh, I want to get it right, you're in construction as a, a chartered surveyor. Yeah. I'm, Quantitative surveyor. Quant- quant- yeah, I'm not chartered. That's a qualification. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. A higher qualification. Oh, sorry. I'm a quantity surveyor. For, for those of you out there, I basically count bricks. <laughs> that can't and be the make job. sure... <laughs> it's a simple term. I, I make sure construction projects um, are profitable. That oh. I look after the money, I look after the contracts, and yeah, um, that sounds important. make sure people, the right people get paid and people don't um, overcharge us for their work. Oh, wow. So who, who would hire you typically? Someone who's, who's if, if I want to make a, a building and then uh, they go, okay, here's how we'll do it. I send Scott in to, to make sure they're doing it right and not ripping me off. Yes, I would be part of a team that mm. helps put a budget together for you and but um, go out and get tender packages, prices basically from tradesmen, subcontractors. But I, I work for an, I don't, I'm not on my own. I work for mm. a big company that builds developments and stuff. So, um, okay. Yeah. Okay. And not, not to be unkind, but that sounds boring. Uh, can you get joy from brick counting? <laughs> um, the only, yeah, I have said to myself, because I've done various careers um, at 32, I've previously uh-huh. been a pro golfer. Pro, um, a coach, which I really enjoyed, but wasn't as lucrative as what I'm in now. No. Um, so, uh, yeah, because I wasn't the level of Rory McIlroy or Tiger Woods for those listening, unfortunately. No, no, golf pro doesn't but, mean you're out there in competitions necessarily. It means you're employed by a club to teach people like me to not have yes. an 80 yards. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's all different types of professionals you can be in golf. It's not like football where you're just a kind of a, a player. But yeah, it's, it, it's looking at Excel spreadsheets most of the day. And it's not something that I'd like to do for the rest of my life. So I do this on the side and I do spend a lot of time in it, the content creation. And yeah, as I said, hopefully one day that is a career, but while I am working full time, I know that that will probably take time. So as long as I see continued growth, which we're getting, then that's all I can ask. I, I can see, I can see Scott being, you know, uh, up there with the, the broadbents uh, at some point. The content's good enough. You've got the personality to do it. Uh, make sure you click the show notes below and follow Stuffy. The, the only thing he's really got wrong is his user names. So it's Scott Tuffy. So it's Stuffy, which I like. Was that, and but it's, you've added an extra Y on the end. That's... So basically it started out, my name is Scott Tuffy. It's Hello, my first Scott. initial and last name. It rolls off the tongue. However, mm. some person out there already had that username i don't know how with that exact spelling so i had to add an extra y on the end unfortunately yep and it kind of kind of works a little bit but yeah no, no, go, it looks go good it looks good we'll, we'll put the links in make sure you, you follow scott because uh, you'll be able to say that you you knew him uh, as it was all kicking off last thing with you scott and it might involve the panel here is are you still handy at golf how good are you uh, i am still handy at golf all right so and i, I can, can still give lessons if you want yay them. that's the next thing i was gonna ask so like <laughs> I, I treat chris catman turner who's a vet but actually is like the manager of like a bunch of like centers and stuff but we use him as our emergency vet <laughs> so like, chris uh, loki's got like a little scratch on his ear what what do we do that just happens can i go to back to bed now I'm like okay you know 1 a.m um and of course you heard the story of the bird story of chris stevens on the meet the panel if not go back to the corner names episode and listen to the meet the panel section that we had after that. It was an absolute gem. So if we did a, uh, a missed apex golf day with me, with Matt, with uh, Matthew Summerfield, uh, you'd, you'd rinse us, Scott. Well, we've, I wouldn't, I'd rinse you 
off levels, yes, but um, we, I'd give you <laughs> uh, some shots, yeah. Spanners. Oh, okay, and, thank and you. That. I'm not we that play mean. with handicaps. What's yeah. your exactly. handicap? What's your handicap? Uh, don't spanners. tell me Spanners because that's not funny. Hey, uh, Scratch, I'll, I'll play off probably. Oh, oh wow. And some of these are playing off what? I played, I played with Scratch golfers before. They are very good. What do you play off, Matt? Oh, I, I'd probably play off like an 18 all right. Ish. I don't know. I, right. I don't keep it anymore. I don't play enough to really keep a handicap anymore, unfortunately. If I get double digits, I am like, I'm clothes off doing laps around the 18th hole and then downing shots in celebration. That's, uh, that's my sort of broad level. But I say, you know, but I can hack around. I'll, I'll make it round. You know, you, you'll just spend a lot of time waiting for me to find my ball. And eventually, just- I, I, go on. Just make sure the golf cart's topped up with beers and we'll be fine. That's the one. I guarantee by the back nine, every time I lose a ball, you'll just throw me one and go, for God's sake, just hit that one. (laughs) Dan, you in for some golf? Uh, I think I'd do more damage to myself than anything. Uh, So, yeah, why not? Yeah, you're a unit. You you could swing a stick. Uh, I used to. I hold... Here we go. We're completely off topic now. But apparently I hold... I'm right-handed, but apparently I hold my club like a left-handed. Left below right. Apparently, I'll do it the wrong way around. Yeah, that sounds know. awful. Maybe no, it was a pro who played that way. Oh, well, there you go. The day. Like, 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 I'm reaching deep into my golf knowledge, but a there's a reason time. why you're not hitting the golf ball, Dan. New, new, I've got a new plan. <laughs> new, new plan. New plan. I hit uh, it. It just goes wildly <laughs> off to like a 90 degree slice. <laughs> We're seeing the same content, aren't we, Spanners? So I'll do a, a separate mini golf tournament, and and you can you can come to that one. Anyway, thank you very much, guys. Go and follow Dan and Stuffy, two of the nicest individuals and then two of my favorites of the panel i can say that because the others aren't here uh, but go and uh, follow them on the social medias by clicking the show notes below follow matt of course at matt pt 55 follow me for goodness sake i'm i'm the best one at spanners ready and follow me on my instagram do my eye racing thing and consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash mistapex i hope you're finding the meet the panel add-ons useful and fun as well if you want to skip them skip them we'll never be offended Join us next Sunday. Until then, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This is Missed Apex Podcast, a neutral podcast that's the best one, and no one can say any different because I've pulled their faders down. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.